podcast that explores the logic behind physiological birth practices and is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to this episode of Well Actually, a podcast by me, Marco Blackstone, uh, as a project of the Indie Birth Association. This episode, we're going to be talking to Julie, who is a dear friend of mine and an amazing woman, and I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a moment here. She's going to be talking with us today about the fourth trimester, um, the postpartum time, and... Uh, she has a lot to say on this topic, and I'm so excited to get her thoughts and knowledge um, here for our listeners. Um, Julie, I'm going to introduce you, if that's all right. Give a little Sure. Pause. All right. Julie is a doula and student of midwifery, but most importantly, wife to Tom for 18 years and homeschooling mother of 11 amazing children. She's had four hospital births, six free births, and one midwife-assisted home birth. She loves sharing and learning about all things pregnancy and birth and hopes to serve her community one day as a wise woman, traditional birth attendant. And I'm sure she will, if I have anything to say about it at least. Um, so Julie is here to talk about, uh, like I said, the postpartum period with us. Um, I'll let you say hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, Margo. Thank you so much for letting me share this. Yes, of course. I'm so excited to finally have you on on the podcast with me. Um, so I'll ramble for a moment here just about how I care so much about this topic. Um, I think it's really a huge deal and it's highly neglected, um, even in midwifery care. And it's sort of, um, you know, this period of time that's so forgotten, especially in mainstream care. Uh, women, you know, don't see anybody for sometimes weeks and weeks at a time. And when they do, you know, it's only for a couple minutes, and it's just abominable. And so I'm excited to hear what, what you have to say um, about how we can do a better job for the moms that we work with or for ourselves as we're preparing for this period of time that's so sacred. So, um, yeah, so let's dive right in if you're ready. Um, sure. Yeah. So tell me how you see the state of postpartum care in the United States. Um, and maybe share a little bit about what you know about other cultures' approaches to the postpartum time um, as opposed to how we're doing it. Sure. Um, I definitely think it's the most forgotten and unprepared for part of the pregnancy birth cycle. Um, I think women feel they need to be given permission to take this time, to be told that they are worthy of being supported by their families and community while they focus on this precious new life they have. Um, every need baby has can be filled, completely filled by mama. It's the responsibility of the woman's family and community to ensure she's unburdened and well equipped to do this. And so, um, of course, that is a lot for someone or a group of people to do, but it's, again, so important. Totally. Um, other cultures have really great woman-honoring traditions uh, that serve to protect and nurture both mother and baby. But we seem to lack these here in America. Um, I, I believe our culture sends the opposite message, that women must give birth and get right back to the daily grind of life, and that if she needs help, somehow she's weak, which is totally not true. 
Um, the, like some examples of other traditions would be um, the Ayurvedic. Did I say that right, Margo? I think so. The Ayurvedic tradition suggests that women stay at home for the first 22 days, uneager to break the aura of peace surrounding their precious few days that they have. In Mexico, much of Latin and much of Latin America has a 40-day la quarantena of resting while bonding with their baby. Uh, and Asians have something similar they call doing the month. Uh, and even the Bible speaks of a 40-day separation after the birth of a male and 80 days after the birth of a female. That's so interesting. Yes, it totally is. And yet here in America, most women, again, just, you know, they have their babies. Some take a couple weeks off work and they get back to work. And, and I think it's even worse sometimes for stay-at-home moms because they're home all the time and everyone just expects them to start cooking and cleaning and taking care of the other children right away. Totally. Yeah, so let's hear a little bit, or a lot of it, whatever you're feeling like sharing, um, about your postpartum experiences since you've had so many to draw on and it probably has changed from pregnancy to pregnancy and postpartum to postpartum. So, yeah, tell us sort of what you've experienced in your own life. Um, sure. Um, I'm going to sum up my uh postpartum births uh, or postpartum time from babies 1 through 11, but I'm going to focus on um, number 10 and 11 and share a little bit more about that. So um, my first birth, I was 16, and I lived at home with my parents, and so my mom took care of everything. Um, you know, I was able to just take care of my baby and relax, and she cooked and cleaned, and I didn't have a lot of responsibility, so I was able to, to really... Um, focus on her, and I really needed it since she was my uh, worst baby. If a baby can, you know, be bad, she sounds kind of a lot like Celosia. Really? Yeah. Um, so she she cried a lot, a lot, a lot, and woke up a lot, and yeah. So, anyways, that was great. Um, my second through sixth birth, uh, I lived near my mom, very near near her, and so she came over. And helped quite a bit. She would cook and she would clean and um, my husband worked nights and so that was really helpful because he was just like a zombie those days, I remember. <laughs> um, then 7th through 8th birth, um, we lived in Alabama and actually 7th through 9th birth, we lived in Alabama. But for baby number 7 and number 8, my mom and, my mom came before the baby was born to help at the end of pregnancy and then stayed for two weeks afterwards. Again, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the other children. It was really great. great. Um, number 10, we still live in Alabama, but my parents weren't able to come, or my mom wasn't. And um, so we that was, I guess, the birth that I had the least amount of help with, but I still had, you know, some community support. Uh, which was really great. And then um, 10th through 11th, again, we had built up so much community, plus my, cho older, my children were older, so that they were able to be of huge help. And baby number 10 was where I discovered um, candy birth. Uh, so I, I, I don't even remember how it happened, but I <laughs> discovered the Taking Back Birth series. And I learned so much, most of which was that the decisions I'd been making about my pregnancy and birth were not extreme or crazy, which was so comforting. Mm -hmm. 
and there were others out there like me. So thank you, Mary and Margot, for, for that, <laughs> for all you do. But my one of my favorite podcasts ever is called The Sacred Postpartum, Creating Your Plan to Enjoy the Weeks After Birth. In it, Mary talks about the 555 rule, which I had never heard before. Um, but it totally transformed my hectic and guilt-ridden postpartum time and to a restful and sacred time for both me and my baby. Because even though I had help, I really didn't have a plan. I just kind of was winging it and doing, you know, as little as I could without feeling so guilty. Um, But the 5-5-5 rule looks like this. Five days in the bed, lying down, resting, nursing your freshly born babe, mama and baby staying naked and skin to skin most of the time. This usually keeps the visitors to a minimum. I always tell people, if you don't want to see me naked, then I guess you'll wait till day six onward to come see me. Uh, it allows the body to get used to the new empty space and the rearranging of the organs. Keeps you off your sense of a perineum that has stretched and might be swollen, bruised, or even torn. Um, and then there's five days in the bed. Spent sitting, maybe doing a few things from your bed, but focus is still on baby. Things should be brought to you and other children cared for by someone else. And then the last five days, um, are spent working up to standing and moving around the bed, but staying in close proximity. Uh, sometime towards the end of these five days, you may feel more ready to take your family, take on your family duties, but take it slowly or things can become overwhelming quickly, which I think is, you'll probably agree, most women <laughs> hit that six-week mark and then they'll call the midwife and say, I'm bleeding, what, what's going on? But it's just because they kind of went into things a little too quickly. Mm-hmm. So would you say... Um, that in your pregnancies, before coming across that rule and sort of some of those ideas, you were not doing, were you doing anything close to that or was it, um, were you doing a lot more? Um, it was sporadic. Again, you know, I'd feel mm-hmm. guilty because I wasn't doing anything and then do stuff. And it wasn't necessarily because I didn't have help. As I said, my mom, you know, she would come and, and help, but then I would feel guilty. Like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then I would feel bad. Or, you know, I wouldn't stay, I think, staying in my bedroom. These last few, after the last few births, I totally stayed in my bedroom, did not come out. I think I, I had to take... Uh, number 10 to the doctor um, in order to get the birth certificate, so I left. But besides that, staying away from the rest of the house and not seeing the mess, not seeing the dishes being, you know, crazy full, really totally helped with that so I wouldn't get stressed out, too. It was definitely more peaceful doing that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So did you notice a difference, I guess, is my next question, um, after the birth where you had more of a plan, and we'll get to what some of that planning looks like later, but um, did you notice a difference, and um, what would you tell people some of the best benefits of doing these practices are? Right. Um, yeah, I, I, it was more peaceful doing it this way and discovering, and made me realize I needed to have a plan for sure. Um, so I, I was able to enjoy and be more bonded with with my babies, I think, um, uh, when whenever you take these times, set them aside, you definitely notice um, some really good benefits. Um, some of the ones listed for taking a special time apart are less reports of postpartum depression, higher success, success rates of breastfeeding, mm-hmm. um, thoroughly bonding with their baby, and it shortens the healing time. So these are all proven to 
uh, be benefits of taking, uh, you know, a time aside, a set apart, no matter, hopefully at least for two weeks, but longer would be even better if we could change that in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that leads me to my next question for you, which is, um, you know, when we're working with pregnant moms and maybe this is the first time that they're hearing anything other than the mainstream advice, which is usually, you know, baby's born, um, take it easy, <laughs> um, you know, that's about all the advice they usually get if they're going to an OB um, and, you know, don't have sex until six weeks and see you back, you know, for your six-week checkup or, um, you know, sometimes they come in for, you know, the couple-day checkup or they have to go see the pediatrician um, or in half seasons, obviously, the wrong phrasing of that. They're suggested that, um, you know, they need to go see the pediatrician and, you know, there's often this cascade of interventions even in the postpartum where that they're going to the pediatrician every day to get their babies. Sorry, I'm going off on a rant here. Get their babies. Yeah, no, it's a rant that needs to be said. Yeah. Um, you know, in that postpartum time, women are getting little to no advice and, you know, have probably heard little to nothing about it. Um, they're not really warned about what that could look like and, um, you know, whether or not they should be trusting necessarily the opinions of the pediatricians, too. That's a, maybe a topic for a separate podcast, but... Um, mm-hmm. So so what do you tell women when you first bring this topic up? How do you sort of break the ice, so to speak, um, and get them thinking about this in a different way when maybe so far they hadn't thought about it at all or all they had thought about was, you know, oh, it's going to be so great, I'm going to have my baby and I'm going to be changing some diapers and I might be tired, you know? Yeah, yeah, because when I do bring it up... Um, they are looking at me strangely like, I'm just worried about the pregnancy and the birth right now. Most people right. are focusing on the birth, you know, the birth, the birth, the birth. But um, after congratulations, usually my next words to pregnant women are, have you started making plans for your postpartum time? Mm-hmm. And that might seem strange to some people, uh, like we just said, but those first three months and often beyond can be some of the toughest times you'll ever experience. Uh, don't get me wrong, they're also beautiful, joyful, and amazing, but boy, can they be tough if they're not planned for. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, and what that's, you share with them? Go ahead, what? So that's what you share with them, is just sort of this, like, you know, planting the seed idea? Yes, yes, because, I mean, I want them to think about it, not just, you know, like, we don't want to be pushing our thoughts and opinions on women. We don't like it done to us, and so, you know, I just want to kind of, where they're coming from and, you know, if it's something that they want to talk more about, I've definitely got suggestions. And if not, you know, then uh, maybe they'll think about it later. Totally. So then if they are curious or even if they're not and we're feeling a little like we want to give people information whether they want it or not, I know I get that way at least. <laughs> yeah. You know, send a un- unsolicited email or something. Uh-huh. Um, so what are your favorite resources to give people, um, other than obviously your own vast amount of knowledge and experience, um, to get them sort of reading or thinking or, some, you know, whatever it looks like um, as as you hope that they gain some more knowledge about this? Yeah, they, I mean, if you have some good resources, I'd love for you to send them my way, but I haven't found a lot. <laughs> no, um, I haven't either. It, 
but I have found um, some favorites online. Um, one of the articles I just read um, not too long ago, of course, lots of stuff goes, on, goes by on Facebook, good and bad, but this one was great uh, talking about not feeling normal until after baby's a year old, and it's just oh, so yeah. true. Um, but I highly recommend Robin Lim's book, After, <clears throat> excuse me, after the Baby's Birth, A Woman's Way to Wellness. And in her book, she quotes from Elizabeth Davis's book, Energetic Pregnancy, about three different postpartum phases. Is it okay if I read them? Totally. Okay. Um, so phase one is called taking in. She describes the mother in this phase as a passive receiver with a profound need for sleep and food. She also recognizes the new mother's need to review the detail of her birth. Around the third day, your awareness of the real world begins to come back. By this time, your home needs a good cleaning, and you should by no means be the one to do this. By the beginning of this phase, a mother's milk has come in, and so have the blues, a natural emotional reaction to childbirth and becoming a mother, which up to 89% of new mothers experience. The arrival of your milk and the blues at about the same time inspires the wise woman saying, letting loose the tears helps the milk flow which should shed a positive light on the common experience of postpartum blues. And my own note here is, boy, that sure helped me to understand it, the crying. You know, I just was expected it around that day, you know, three, <laughs> you know, day three, four, that I was just going to be a basket case. And I would actually, you know, let my kids and my husband know, like, if I'm, you know, weird crying or get upset about something, it's just part of the hormonal flow. So it helped me to know it was coming and helped them to be able to be more understanding. Yeah. So then the phase two that she talks about, again, I'm going to read from her, is phase two is taking hold. The next phase can begin as early as day four and last through day ten. And this time, mother and baby are establishing their breastfeeding routine and the mother's blues are wearing off. Um, number three is taking charge. From, day, from about day 11 and up to six weeks, the new mother is in her taking charge phase, during which she may be exhausted and hypercritical of herself, wondering, am I a good mother? Why aren't I feeling 100% back to normal? Why can't I seem to get, a, not, get much done? Usually, she's not getting the help and emotional support she needs because the excitement of her birth has worn off and friends and family have left her to fend for herself, mm. which is so sad, you know? That's so sad. <laughs> yeah, that's so sad. Um, yeah, I, would, I, love, I love her work, and that's such a good description of that time. And um, Yeah, I think it definitely helps when people sort of know what to anticipate. It's such a hard balance, sort of going off track here again, but um, I feel like it's such a hard balance to help women in this time period, in this culture, with this, you know, because the reality of the postpartum time and pregnancy and birth and all of it can be sort of scary, you know, like if things don't go well, um, if we don't plan for them, if we don't, you know, prepare ourselves and... So it's sort of this interesting balance of, like, how do we share this information in a way that is not scary, but scary enough that they take it seriously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, so, it's such a fine line. And, um, yeah, so it's, you know, and it's hard, too. I feel like a struggle is when, you know, we're working with someone who does understand this or, you know, at least as much as they can, especially before having their first baby, um, but then they 
because of the support isn't there um, and the community isn't there yet. So that's such a huge, a huge thing. And I think you're going to talk and address some of that in the um, the next part that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But um, yeah, so it's such an interesting thing. Um, I know for myself, you know, after I had my baby, uh, I had read a lot of material. I, you know, sort of knew the flow of how postpartum goes. And I thought I knew what I wanted and needed. But um, I think, you know, and I wrote some different blog posts. People can check out if they want to read them. Um, I think one's called Reflections on the Fourth Trimester, Get the Office Yoga Ball or something. Yeah. Oh, that's um, a good one. <laughs> Um, just because, you know, I, I just always come back to like, oh man, if it was that hard for me as someone who, you know, has relatively good support locally and, um, you know, had some knowledge going into it, I can only imagine how hard it is for people who maybe don't have that support or, or knowledge. So, um, yeah, it's such an important, important piece and figuring out how we talk to women about this and prepare them is so, so crucial, so. Um, I guess that leads me to my my next piece here that I wanted to get the details on is like how do you when you're working with someone um, how do you help them plan for this then and how do you what do you suggest some concrete suggestions because I know you have so many awesome ones um, and yeah like what does that look like when someone is open to this idea and interested in in planning for this time when you throw all your best resources and tools at them, what does, what does that look like? Yeah, I do have a lot to share. I do want to, you know, talk a little bit more about what you just said. You're, you're right, you know, it's kind of um, odd sometimes, can feel odd about sharing without making someone feel so overwhelmed, like, this is going to be the worst time of your life. Because it truly isn't. Even if it is really hard, yeah. you still look back and go, that was really hard. But, oh my gosh, that sweet squishy little baby I held. It was amazing. I, you know, most people would say, you know, I do it over, you know, maybe in three years because it was so hard or whatever. But, you know, it is amazing at the same time. But um, it's, like you said, you can't, I mean, I would think that Margot would be about as prepared as one could <laughs> and, and seeing, you know, other women. And yet it was hard. And so you definitely need to to take care of that. And um, I have a Facebook I created a couple of years ago um, so focusing on crunchy and birthy things, and uh, I had asked them what they would like me to talk about as far as um, for this podcast, and I told them I was going to do one with you, and they were like, the postpartum time, no one's ever prepared enough, and whether it's your first baby, you definitely, you know, aren't prepared, you just don't think about that, and even, you know, women who had second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, babies hadn't heard a lot of the things that I was sharing, of course, that a lot of them I learned through indie births and other resources because, like I said, there aren't a lot out there. But I think you just can't talk about it enough because so many women don't have um, support and community, so they need lots and lots of suggestions. They um, need to so hear it a lot of times from different people to believe them, I think, too, yeah. You know, yes, to make definitely. them think it's not crazy and it's not just a few people who think this. Like, Yeah. Right, women are struggling. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely helps to know that you're not alone. But again, I think that plays, our, our culture is such an isolationist cult, culture where we 
you know, we isolate ourselves and, you know, we're not hanging out laundry in the backyard talking to the woman next door over the fence who's also hanging out her laundry going, oh, gosh, this is, you know, this has been really hard and really tough. And so we don't get to share, you know, and so most women just see that other women are doing it or it appears to be and they're really struggling at home and they had, you know, these terrible thoughts like, oh, my gosh, why in the world did I even have this child? I mean, people Mm -hmm. really struggle, but they don't share those dark times necessarily, but we need to hear them and that it's normal and that you can get past it. And maybe next time, if you know, if you've already had a baby and struggled, you can do some things that might help it make a little bit better. So some of the things that I did um, that I got out of hearing that um, 555 uh, podcast, um, ways that I made it happen was I made some freezer meals ahead of time, um, you know, just once a week, I tried to make an extra meal, double my meal, even not even a special extra meal, but double that day's meal and freeze it. Um, I made ahead some menu plans and shopping lists for my husband and my older children so that they could, you know, take care of that. I wouldn't have to think about it at the time because, you know, you're in that new mom brain fog um, usually, and so it's harder to, to think. So for me, planning ahead, um, you know, for those meals, uh, you know, just some salads and sides maybe, some fresh ingredients that they had to shop to go with my freezer meals. And, of course, one of the things if you have, um, you know, children, other children and they're kind of young and they need some direction. And, and so I say that it helps my children avoid being... Um, jealous of the other, I come up with 15 activities that they get to do that are special um, to give me some time with them. Uh, you know, someone else can hold the baby or while the baby sleeps, we'll do this. And uh, there's lots of um, suggestions on the internet on, you know, activities you can do that are very inexpensive and would be special. Um, I inform my family and friends of my plans. You know, I think that's really important so that they know, um, whether it comes from you or maybe, you know, your husband or your mother or whoever, a a close friend that, you know, you're going to need help um, and you're planning on taking this time away. That way people can volunteer. I know a lot of people heard that I was going to be doing that and offered to bring me a meal, offered to take my kids places. So I think just putting the information out there um, brings awareness for you and for other women. Uh, Again, I mentioned that I I don't entertain or allow guests during the first five days. Um, There were people who did want to drop a meal off, but that's exactly what they did. They dropped a meal off, and there was no offense. They totally understood because I explained it to them. Um, And, uh, again, I I made arrangements for... um, other families to give rides to my children. We homeschool, and then, or you mentioned that I homeschool, and so there was a couple um, field trips during that time with my 10th baby, and other homeschooling moms offered to take my kids, which was wonderful. It gave me some quiet time, and I didn't have to worry that they were missing out because I was, you know, setting aside this time. Yeah, that's awesome. But... Um, so many women don't have the amazing internal support that I have of having teens and older children. And so the advice that I give them is make a plan. 
what do you need and want to guard and nurture the sacred time? Because someone else's time is going to look different than mine or my desires are different than another woman. So think about it. Um, what do you need in order to feel rested and peaceful and loved to recuperate from this amazing thing you just did? And again, I think we can't emphasize enough how amazing and miraculous and powerful and big that it is. You gave birth to another human being here, so it's no small thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I think we need to emphasize how amazing that is. Uh, if you don't have close family and community, find community or build your own. Um, like I said, you know, we moved to Alabama and the you know, first two births there, my mom came, but the last one there, I didn't have any support. Now I live in Arizona and, you know, most all of my family lives in Florida, so there is no help there. Um, but, you know, I started attending, actually I created my own uh, birth support group while I was in uh, Yuma when we first moved to Arizona. And um, you can attend the Leche League meetings, you can find birth circle meetings, um, and if, like I said, if there's none in your area, start your own. There's always women who want to talk about their births or pregnancies, and it's an amazing thing that you can do. And so that gets you out into your community and making friendships. And even if not friendship friendships, it gives you acquaintances, and most moms understand what it's like to just have a baby and, and need a meal or a break. And, you know, I got lots of offers, um, more than we even accepted um, in that way. So definitely find community. Um, you can take new moms that you know a meal or offer to take their children to the park, you know, and, and when you do that and reach out to other people, then people are willing to do that for you. So it's it's really uh, important to do that. Uh, as you give out and are a blessing to your community, uh, then they'll want to, you know, blessings will come pouring back into you. You can hire a postpartum doula, which isn't, you know, in everyone's budget, um, but it's something you can do. And uh, you can ask around in your local homeschool community for teens who would volunteer to help out for an hour or two a day. Um, I actually, my my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 21 right now, but when she was a teen, there was a mom who she had. Uh, I think she birthed her fifth, and her oldest was six or seven, I mean, she had them oh, wow. really back-to-back, yeah. and so I dropped her off. She didn't drive yet, but I dropped her off for two hours a day for that first week so that oh, she could geez. take care of her and cook and clean and, you know, help her out with the other kids, because I was so busy with my family that I really couldn't do a lot for her, right. but my oldest could, and we homeschooled, so that afforded us the time to do that, so... There's many within, especially, like I said, um, the homeschool community who might be willing to do that, who has an older teen that could need some, you know, real-life home ec um, training. And so that could be something you could look for. Yeah, I love the idea of, like, getting other generations involved because I feel like that's so often the wall that gets run into is, you know... um, Funny enough, and I'm totally not on Facebook while we're doing our podcast, but I was looking at our notes and I had a um, like a notification pop up on my browser, like you know, just on the computer, not not yeah, on yeah. Facebook. I promise. <laughs> and um, it was for a new, I think it was called like a what did she call it? A woman's gathering. Um, 
for, I think she, but I know specifically because I had talked to this woman, um, that she, you know, she has a four-month-old baby, I think, and she's just desperately looking for people to, to get together with and, and talk to about this time and about being a mom and just have some time to connect with other people in that way. And so I know that she was trying to put something like that together, and so it just popped up during our call, which is so funny, like a, oh, you know, mom's group that she's now put on the schedule on Facebook, at least. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say is it's so hard, because in the process, process of talking to this other woman, um, you know, I said, yeah, I would totally come and be a part of that. I said it's so hard because... People move in and out of these seasons of life, um, especially when they're only having, like, one or two babies. Right. It's a pretty fast, a fast season, and, you know, sometimes that desperation of, like, needing someone else to talk to and have a play date with goes away a little bit once your kid's being slightly more manageable, like Salusia's age. Um, mm-hmm. So I told her, you know, like, that's awesome that you're doing this. You know, there was there were some mom groups that sprouted up when Salusia was a baby, and we went to for, you know, a couple months, and then they sort of fizzled out. And so I think what you just said made me think of that because, you know, as the mom running the house and, you know, taking care of the kids all day, um, or, you know, some moms are working moms, and they're going up to work 40 hours a week, uh, it's so hard to be the person who's doing that support or organizing that event as well. And so, yeah, it's so exciting to think about um you know, getting the youth involved and teams and um and someone suggests I think Amy, our mutual friend Amy, suggested yeah. to me when Celestia was younger, said, Oh, what about a mother's helper? Both of my two of my daughters are, are mother's helpers and, you know, are available for people to sort of hire for parts of the day and and there really wasn't any you know, anyone like that here in Sedona who was wanting to do that. And so, um so I think that's an exciting project for whoever wants to take that on in their own communities. And then also getting older generations involved, too, because if they're past the point of having to take care of their families and, you know, run around to different extracurricular activities and that sort of thing, or they're retired, you know, it's a lot easier for someone like that to, you know, commit to hosting a monthly group that they're not going to fizzle out of, maybe, or, you know, something like that, right. or offer, you know, to bring a meal um, a meal to someone who's just had a baby or or that sort of thing. So sorry. Absolutely. That no, that that's awesome. And I think you bring up a good point and something that I try to share. Um it's not just, you know, for moms who are in this season. It's for you know, young girls. They need to grow up around not only, you know, the postpartum time, but birth period. It would be great for women to experience birth for the first time, not just at their own births. Um, but, you know, we need to share about, you know, this, this hard time. If they see it, you know, they'll expect it again. It's about not getting wrapped in the face with things that we never saw or experienced before our own births and postpartum times and letting another generation before see it beforehand and, and help and experience it. We're doing, they're not just um, being a blessing to us, that we're being a blessing to them by letting them see a little glimpse of it. Um, and, of course, the older generation who, yes, they totally, most of them have more time, um, you know, more leeway to be able to do some of these things. So it's important to reach out to all the generations. And I think, you know, again, a lot of the older generation, I think, women that I talked to, they, you know, they just plugged right through it because that's what they had to do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, I went to a baby shower um, before my last baby was born a few months back, 
and you see all these older women sitting around. It was some. It was um, a ladies' group in the congregation we go to, and they were giving this young gal a baby shower. She was having her third baby, and I was just. They uh, one of the women suggested that they all go around and give advice um, to this young gal, and and I'm just thinking, and oh, this is no. terrible. But my thought is, oh gosh, the advice they're going to give because you know I've experienced quite a bit over the you know the years of advice from older women and. These older women were so precious. They oh. gave the most wonderful advice I'd ever heard an older woman give. It wasn't just, well, honey, get it done, you know, and yeah. just, like, you know, plug right through it no matter how you feel. It was take time for you. And, you know, they were sharing their experiences. You know, I just went right back to work, and it was so hard on me and for my son and, you know, whatever it was. And, you know, some of them were like, don't listen to anybody if they tell you you shouldn't be breastfeeding, you know, and, and do it anywhere you want, honey, and don't cover <laughs> up if that's what you feel. And, I mean, it was just the greatest thing. I mean, it was really precious. Um, and so we need to uh, talk to everyone about the postpartum time. It's definitely not just something that I talk to um, other pregnant women or trying to conceive. Uh, I talk to all the generations and even um, you guys are so wonderfully offering the indie birth course. I've talked to everybody. You know, I'm like, if you will ever be in the childbearing year in it or have ever experienced it, this cross is for you because other women need to know and share whether they're going to have any more babies or, you know, might be a while before they have another baby or whatever. I think you need to be experienced and knowledgeable in the birth process and then the postpartum period. Absolutely. So sorry, I went on my little personal passionate rant. (laughs) Were there other, since I went on my side tangent, were there other pieces of your plan that you wanted to talk about or were were you? Were yeah, we yeah, sure. Um, okay, so we talked about hiring a postpartum doula and how you could, you know, ways you could do that or um, or a community, um, a team maybe in your community or, or mm-hmm. as you said, someone who's already out of that time. Um, make up freezer meals uh, was something that I did and that you can do. Um, the second trimester is the perfect time to do this. Uh, because you start feeling better and having a little bit more energy, and then, you know, that third trimester sometimes can, you know, feel a little more exhausting. So um, that's a good time to do it. And like I said, I doubled one of my meals each week. And so if you do that during the second trimester, you could have quite a bit of meals um, in your freezer, whether someone brings you food or not. Um, you have those there for a rough day or whatever. Um, you can also have a freezer party. Um, or a freezer meal party with friends. Some women are doing this instead of a baby shower. They're just inviting everybody they knew to, know to come over and make up a bunch of freezer meals. And that's, you know, each person contributes a little bit to that. And, and so they're doing that because it's more practical. You know, those, especially this first few months, you really don't need a lot of the equipment and the big stuff. You just need some sanity. And so, honestly, food is a huge part of a mom's life. Sometimes it's like, you know, if, you, if we just didn't need to eat, you know, my life would just be so much easier. Um, so, yeah, food. And, of course, there's recipes online and um, plans for that. You can check Pinterest again. Um, when asked at your for your baby shower what you want, add in there gift, certif- gift certificates and gift cards for restaurants. 
um, gift certificates for cleaning service or have someone um, have like a, some people put a wishing well at their baby shower and you put in money in there towards some big thing that they want. And a postpartum doula could be, you know, totally your wishing well gift. Mm-hmm. Um, put a friend in charge of setting up a meal train. That was something I heard Marin say on that postpartum podcast. Because, again, sometimes it's hard for us to ask other people to help. I know it's hard for me, even though it's something I'm passionate about and know that we need. It's not a luxury. It really is some, It's a need for sure. Um, but it's kind of hard to, to really ask, hey, can you help me? Can you come back here in my house? You know, there's so much guilt I think within the mommy culture that it, that makes it hard. So ask a friend um, who can set up a meal train or um, a list of things that you'd like done and other friends and um, acquaintance, acquaintances or people in your community can sign up for, um, you know, like take a nap, come over and hold a baby scene, take a nap or get a shower or um, take your kids to their activities, tidying the house, doing some laundry. So, um, yeah, those are some things you can do there. Um, they can plan. You can plan special activities or outings for your other children with another trusted adult or teen volunteer. Again, there's ideas on Pinterest. My husband usually takes the first few weeks off after a birth, but uh, he hasn't the last few and hasn't had to, thankfully. Um, but he would always, you know, one day, each of those two weeks that he would take off, he would take the kids somewhere special so I could have some quiet time. I And I didn't feel bad because, you know, we were all cooped up in the house. Um, he would take the kids to an inexpensive zoo uh, where we lived, and that was special, or take them to Chuck E. Cheese, to the park. You know, it just gives other, your other children something to do to occupy their time. And again, it keeps their love tanks filled and feeling special so they, you know, don't feel so jealous of the baby. Again, I think it really helps with that. And lastly, I like to collect special things for myself that help me relax and feel pampered for this time. And for me, those are books, um, usually on midwifery or the the birthing time, um, pregnancy stuff. Uh, I like to have a journal so that I can write. Uh, adult coloring books are really popular right now. Something I really like. Uh, nutritious yeah. snacks, like special snacks that you know maybe you could splurge on, just so that you don't have to bother anybody. You know, you can have your quiet time and have your, you know, your kombucha. And for me, that was some cashews. And a friend sent me some um, of those Justin's peanut butter cups. So that was really nice. Um, having some special music, that kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah, that time is, you know, I I don't think I completely understood how it would go, and I don't know if it's a place for everybody, but I think I had thought, you know, I would just be, like, staring at my baby all day long or something, you know, like, (laughs) and my husband was so on board with how we were approaching it and that I was going to rest, and he knew he was going to be in charge of cooking and cleaning and that stuff. But that was a piece that I definitely didn't plan for, and I'm glad you said that. It's just like, what are you doing when you're not just staring at the baby? Because <laughs> um, I think it, I got sort of crazy. Like, oh, shouldn't I just be staring at the baby? Like, I started feeling guilty even months and months into the into the postpartum. Um, like, shouldn't I be doing something? Like, you know, I always had heard that funny, like, you know, 
cultural joke of like, well, now what do I do with it? You know, it's here. What do I do with this thing, this baby? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with it? And so, you know, I just had thought, I don't know what I thought, but um, I definitely didn't have, you know, plans of like, what am I going to do when I'm sitting there and the baby's sleeping or um, baby's nursing? And and so I think that's really good to, to share with people, especially the first time or the first time that they're doing it this way is just, you know, have some nice relaxing activities because it doesn't, it's not all about the baby. And that's kind of the, the overall point, you know, um, of of this topic even, you know, like you were saying earlier, uh, and like Robin, was it Robin Lim? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, she said the excitement of the birth wears off and people just kind of move on. And then it's all about the baby. It's like, oh, how's the baby doing? It's, how much does the baby weigh? Is the baby growing? Can I buy the baby some clothes? You know, and it's not about the mom anymore. Yeah. And so I think um, I still had some, like, remnants of that left over, you know, even in my sort of more holistic approach to it. Like, I thought, you know, I'd get to rest, and that's great. But the focus was still, like, oh, and then I'm going to be so all about the baby. And um, so, yeah, I think it's good to, to talk about that. And I remember, I mean, I remember even feeling guilty about, like, watching TV, with the baby if you're awake. It's like, oh, the baby's awake. I can't watch TV. I'm supposed to be looking at it. Or like, you know? <laughs> and so, but maybe that's just me because I'm a little crazy. But, um, yeah. So, no, I think you're, like, that's a valid point for sure is that you, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty about that because even just holding a baby and staring at them is exhausting. I, 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 you just really can't emphasize that enough. Like, you don't think you're doing anything, but you are. Like, you're giving yeah. out this emotional, hormonal cocktail of, you know, yeah. euphoria for this baby. But it, that's just that is exhausting. So, yeah, if sitting there watching TV is how you feel like, okay, I, I feel, like, more relaxed now. Or, what, right. or just doing nothing, staring into space, going to sleep, whatever. You earned right. it just by holding the baby. Totally. Yeah, and that, that difficult push and pull of, like, taking care of yourself and then not feeling, and then trying to not feel guilty about it or, like, you know, I think that's huge and I think it's something I'm still learning even almost two years in and I wish I had learned it sooner, you know, because I think, and I've talked about this in some of the blog posts that I've done, you know, I had this image from, I don't even know where, like, the natural birth world or wherever, but, like, the postpartum would be my, me, like, sitting around eating, like, bonbons and, like, nursing my baby and, like, you know, <laughs> it just being really peaceful and relaxing just doing that. Like, that was, a, you know what I mean? Like, right. Like, yeah. The vision. And then, but it's so sorely left out, like, well, you still have to make yourself lunch, like, if no one's around. Right. Or, like... You know, you can't sit and stare at your baby all day because, like you said, it's exhausting and boring. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just, true. you know, they want to be doing what you're doing. And so I, and, you know, I had a different sort of a pregnancy, too, I think, than a lot of people where it was sort of, like, all-consuming. I have anxiety problems. You know, that's not a secret. Um, you know, but it was, like, every day was about, like, how do I get through this day? You know, I've got my blood pressure stuff I have to take care of and, like, think about and... um you know, I wasn't working, I was doing indie birth stuff, so when I was thinking about anything, it was about birth, and I was pregnant, so it was sort of like my whole life was about this baby and this pregnancy, or pregnancy in general and birth, and so there was no, like, other activity, sort of. Right. 
And so I sort of then in the postpartum was like, oh, you know, I need to still find a way to do these things. So I slowly got back into, like, writing blog posts or whatever when she was napping, um, when I should have probably been napping or <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. But there was an element of, like, how will I ever get back to my life? And so I think starting early and being like, you know what, like, the baby's fine. I'm going to put him right next to me on the bed, and I'm going to color for 10 minutes in my coloring book. You know, just setting those. Well, because you still need stimulation. I think, you know, it is. You do need that time away. You need to rest. But at the same time, you still, I mean, at least for me, I need some stimulation. And yeah. not, but not overstimulation. So it has to be things that you want to do. So I would say, like, if you don't 100% want to do it, that's something you're not motivated to do. Because some women are like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be in my bedroom for, you know, 15 days. It sounds like torture. Well, I mean, if you feel like going out and taking a walk, go out and take a walk, you know. Right. Um, but just don't, you know, it's, it's giving your permi- yourself permission to do, take care of you. Because if you take care of you, if others take care of you, you'll take care of this precious baby you know, which is the motivation and the focus of it all anyway. Yeah. And I think it's just shifting sort of, you know, like adapting your regular life to that time, obviously way scaled down, but like if you're a social person, which I didn't really think, I don't really think of myself as being a super social person, but I could definitely have benefited from some more adult interaction in the first couple months as well. Yeah. You know, with my, um, you know, partner Ruffle being gone for like 11-hour shifts. Which, you know, yeah, and so, um, you know, if you are someone who needs that, being like, hey, if you want to hang out, you have to come to my house, and you obviously have to be careful who you invite, and then say, you know, it's going to be probably short, or I don't know, you know, and then, and making sure that those people, and hopefully just through the work we're doing, more of these people appear or, or develop that understand, like, if the baby's you know, needing a nap, like, you're going to have to go take care, you know, like, um, people who are sensitive to the time period, too. Right. Um, but, yeah, and asking those people to come to you instead for a little while and, um, yeah, trying to continue doing the things you enjoy doing, but in a pared-down kind of a way, I think is sort of the name of the game. Definitely. So what would you, we talked a lot about like how we would talk to moms about this as we're working with them. What would you say, um, you know, to midwives or future midwives or birth attendants or whatever we want to call them so that they understand um, what we're getting at here too? Well, um, definitely I would, to the midwives or future midwives who may be listening, I would love to share a story and some advice I heard Gloria LeMay share um, she had a client who she could tell was not getting the rest she needed. So she spoke very seriously with the husband that his wife needs to be in bed resting. Meals delivered to her, lots of love and pampering, etc. And you know what? He made that happen for her. So I think it's so important to emphasize to the partner and close family member- members the importance of healing and bonding time. Because um, they'll take it so much more seriously hearing it from their trusted midwives. Because, I mean, uh, we're trying to change this in our culture, but there's this, you know, needing permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like you need somebody to give you permission to, to do these things. And so, uh, and, and looking to some other authority. And while we're changing that, in the meantime, I really think it's important that um, if you have that 
position that a woman is looking to you in some way that we pass that on to her family and, and take that pressure off of her by giving her permission through her family members to, to relax and take care of herself. Well, any other thoughts that you want to share or um, any other final things to wrap our talk up today? Yeah, I think the most in, most important thing we need to remember is um, most women feel that the sacred postpartum time is a luxury that they cannot afford or don't deserve. But every woman, every woman deserves to be honored and to honor herself for the sacred journey she has just embarked on. When something's a priority, we find a way to make it happen on some level. And so everyone can can take something away and, and make their postpartum time special. Yeah, and every little bit helps the individual, and I think every little bit is helping us shift our communities, too, on, like, the bigger scale. So that's very inspiring. So let's see. Anything else? No, I think that's all I've got right now. I mean, of course, I could ramble forever because it's (laughs) so important. But, yeah, totally. I think hopefully um, your audience has gotten some good tips because practical things are what we need and not just, hey, you need to rest. Permission. Show me how to do that. Yeah. So anyone who's listening, you have permission to do whatever you need to do. And I think you framed it so beautifully, Julie, just whatever you need to do to feel relaxed and peaceful in this time period. And if you're not feeling relaxed and peaceful, then reach out and find some some help and some tools. And, um, you know, we're always here at Indie Birth to take emails, and we do free consults at least once a week. I think we're opening up a second night pretty soon here. Um, so check out our website for, for that information and to get our emails. My email is margo at indiebirth.com. Pretty easy to remember. Um, and I just want to say thank you again, Julie, for being with us and sharing all your awesome um, knowledge and wisdom. And um, hopefully we'll get you back here soon. And to everyone You're welcome. <laughs> to everyone listening, um, hopefully we'll see you, quote, unquote, back here at the podcast for a future episode. And um, thanks, everybody. Thanks.